1: And good morning. Welcome to the show. It's uh, of course back to Monday already 25th of April getting ready to wrap up the month heading into May of course uh, summer right around the corner already. So that's hard to believe kids graduating school next month. Colleges letting out for the summer. Where did the semester go? I mean it was like January last week. So you know we've been talking about markets now just kind of fumbling around and literally this has been going on. Since January of this year, and it's gone by so quickly now, the markets have just gone really nowhere since the beginning of the year. Um, If we go back and actually look at where markets are trading right now, we're, we're basically just, you know, back to where we were in September of last year. So, you know, not a lot's gone on, but time has certainly flown by here just recently. Over the weekend, though. Um, some interesting news out. Netflix, trying to figure out what to do with their subscriber and their revenue problem. Of course, Netflix has been under a tremendous amount of pressure here, you know, under you know, market conditions. Uh, after missing their earnings and announcing they had 2 million subscribers, uh, kind of a shortfall of 2 million subscribers. Over the weekend, they announced that they're going to crack down on password, sh- password sharing. Now, this is going to be interesting because back in 2017, they said love is sharing a password that was their Twitter, right? In 2017, they tweet out that Love is sharing a password. Well, everybody shared their password. In fact, about a hundred million people share passwords uh, for Netflix. But here's the interesting thing, they're gonna crack down. Now, look, it'll be pretty easy to crack down on somebody that has 15 different users using their password. That's probably, you know, that's probably a lot of sharing right there. But, you know, it's an interesting situation. My family, we've got four kids one lives in Germany, three are, two are going to be in college, one will be living you know, here in Houston, and then we travel a good bit, so my wife in particular. So how are you going to crack down on our passwords in our house, right? So this is you know, going to be the interesting thing. How are you going to crack down on that? We've got basically six people in our family. We're spread out, we move all around. And they even noticed this. They said, you know, they said we're not going to crack down on passwords of you know, families that are temporarily living apart, et cetera. How are you going to know this? This is going to be the interesting thing, right? Um, so I, I have a feeling that this isn't going to be as easy <laughs> as they think it's going to be. And this may actually wind up costing them more subscribers than they think. They are, are testing this right now in Chile and a couple of other South American countries. And the idea is that, look, if you want to share my, if I want to share my password with Brent, as an example, he can subscribe and, and add on to my family, right, for like $2.99 a month. The question is that I have to pay the $2.99 for Brent. So, will I actually do that or not? That's going to be the question. So, again, I, you know, we'll see how this works out. But you know, this has always been a problem with these online sharing services or online streaming services. You know, at all, uh, Disney's got the same problem, of course. Uh, Paramount, you know, uh, HBO Max, etc. Any subscribing service as a problem with people sharing passwords so again everybody's going to be kind of looking at netflix can they solve the sharing issue because this is going to be one of the and and if they can solve this right if they do get it worked out then that's going to you know foster other people to come in and do this now here's the problem with this first of all people are pretty smart so whatever solution they come up with everybody's going to figure out a way around it that's just going to be the bottom line of this right the second thing is is going to be is that this is going to drive the cost of these streaming services even higher and at a point where it's already we and we've talked about this previously on the show people are just getting feed to death it is you know i i've got you know i used to be able to go online and read you know market watch and cnn and all these other places you know or get my news to new york times i could read that online and now i've got to have a subscription to all these different services and i've got to have a subscription to 14 different uh video services and i've got to have a subscription to music services and i've got to have a subscription to this service or that service plus i just got to pay my rent and <laughs> bills so everything is just now uh, consumers are just getting impacted by all these different fees um, interesting stat over the weekend: People are turning off of using Grubhub because it's too expensive, right? I mean, you go to go Grubhub food, and it's expensive, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it gets and it gets racks up there pretty quick. So with people under pressure financially, now we're having to go back and reassess exactly what all these services are that we're subscribing to. And, and we talked about last week. This is going to help push that rebundling of services at some point. I don't know when it's gonna be, whether it's gonna be a year from now, five years from now, whatever it was. But five, six, seven, eight years ago, we were here on the show talking about the unbundling. Everybody's like, we gotta unbundle, cut the cord. And we said back then is it's only a function of time until everybody goes back to bundling because it's ultimately gonna be cheaper. So we're probably gonna see this accelerate now that we're getting into this higher cost structure and fees are going up, costs are going up. Uh, but speaking of cost and, and losing money, Disney um, under pressure again now, after Disney decided to go woke, <laughs> uh, kind of upset a, a few people, uh, particularly in the state that they live in, this, the, uh, Disney was its own municipality, has its own fire service, has its own police department, has everything. It's basically its own city within a city within Florida. And that has now been revoked by the state of Florida. And that debt is now reverting back into uh, the, the hands of Florida. So Florida will now get that money. But here's the other side of this, is that this whole move to be woke by Disney has now cost them $34 billion in market cap. So, you know, there's, there's a price to be paid to be woke. And, and people are starting to figure this out. And, and <clears throat> speaking of, of being woke... Those on the, on the far left of Twitter losing their mind again over the weekend. Twitter has now decided that, you know what, maybe we'll consider that offer from Elon Musk because it's a good offer. At $54.20 a share, that is worth way more than the company is actually worth. It is a very high price bid for Twitter. And, and in the shareholders' favor is this bid by Elon Musk <clears throat> to buy the company. Of course, the insiders of the companies, the ones that have been trying to suppress free speech, et cetera, have now you know completely been railing against this, launched the poison pill, and are starting to realize they have now opened themselves up to a massive amount of lawsuits because the offer by Elon Musk is actually a very fair offer for the company, and that means the company has to act in the shareholder's best interest. They announced over the weekend they will Seriously, think about taking the offer from Elon Musk. In fact, they announced this morning they're in advanced talks over that deal now. So we'll see how that is going to work out. But this is important because over the weekend, Hillary Clinton, Obama, and others talked about the fact that we need to make sure that tech companies, these big tech companies, are ensuring free speech and democracy yet this is the very same people that spied on the trump campaign launched a fake dossier etc so you know i'm not sure the people promoting free speech are the ones that we want promoting free speech but the eu is now also tagging big tech companies against the spread of disinformation but who are the arbiters of what is or is not this information. That's going to be the the big question. This is going to be the big challenge for media tech companies in general. The good news about this, though, is that that opens up the opportunity for other players to now come into the market, to create a space in the market for what customers want and what people want. So this is always the great thing about regulation, is that regulation opens up opportunity for new opportunities in markets. And this is going to be kind of an interesting thing to watch here over the course of the next, you know, several years as to where people migrate to. We talked about last week about where young people are going to. And the question is, is what, where do they create the next opportunities? That'll be the thing to watch for. Be right back after the break. Got to talk about markets, money, more, all a lot of stuff going on this week. Don't go away.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to ensure your income, minimize your taxes and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at RealInvestmentAdvice.com The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso RealInvestmentAdvice.com
0: The Real Investment Show
1: And hey, welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, about 6.17 as we get this Monday edition of the show underway Getting ready to wrap up the week of April already. So, you know, that brings up a couple things. One is we move into summer. Of course, this also brings up the old adage of selling May and going away. And, you know, a lot of people uh, talk about this a good bit. The problem, you know, I I shouldn't say there's a problem because there's not a problem with it. Um, The summer months tend to be weaker historically because of the fact that People are traveling, um, you know, Europe shuts, Europe shuts down for the entire month of August for all intents and purposes, just activities generally lighter in the summers. And because of that, uh, we typically see worse performance And of course, if we go back in history and take a look at, you know, the big routes in the markets, right, um, Black Friday and uh, you know, big crashes in the market. Sometimes, for some reason, those tend to cluster around September, October, and, and just happens to ha- just happens that the big drawdowns that we have typically happen during the summer months. But again, it's not always the case. One thing about this summer that may be a little different is that we've already had a pretty tough hoe so far. I mean, it's been a a. Pretty tough last three months in the markets, uh, January, February, March, April now, so four months. It's been pretty tough on markets. Uh, markets are oversold on a lot of different fronts. Um, positioning is light. Sentiment's very negative. So there's a, there's a, a possibility that this summer could be a better-performing summer um, with a bit of good news. Right. Um, and again, what could that be? Well, you know, some resolution to what's going on with between Russia, and Ukraine. Um, the Fed backs off. We get a little bit uh, better inflation data. You know, It could be anything. Um, but just some good news is likely going to spark a, a bit of a reflexive rally in the markets, only because markets are so deeply oversold on so many levels. And that's OK. That's OK. You know, and this is part of. You know, kind of what's, you know, worth paying attention to right now in markets. And and again, you know, markets are under a lot of pressure this morning. Stocks are gonna be down again as we kind of open back up. It looks like we're gonna to try to retest the March lows. And that's you know, got a lot of people concerned right now because like, oh my gosh, markets are selling off and you know, we're in a bear market and, and it's not yes and no. Uh again, you know, when we look back. You know we've been in a very tough market, no doubt about it, and it's been a market where really not much has worked. Bonds aren't working, stocks aren't working, kind of nothing's working at the moment. Um, even the commodity trade is not working very well at this point. Gold, oil, etc., all under a lot of pressure, and there's just been this this kind of this constant, you know, push. Um, you know, in equities, uh, bonds, everything's just kind of been this constant selling pressure in the markets. And, you know, this is this is, you know, not uncommon. And as we talked about in this past weekend's newsletter, if you take a look at below the surface of the markets, you know, the, you know, the, the S&P is down, you know, 10, 11, 12 percent right now uh, from from the peak. And if you take a look at below the surface, if you just looked at all the stocks below the index, you say, man, this market's got to be down 30%. Because there's a lot of stocks down 30 40 50%. We talked about this in the newsletter this past weekend. There's a lot of stocks under a tremendous amount of selling pressure. And a lot of these stocks are being priced for basically going out of business, and they're not. What's keeping the markets supported is the big mega cap stocks, right? Apple, Microsoft, Google, not Facebook. <laughs> Facebook's been under a lot of pressure. But that's what's been kind of supporting it. And this is, this is a function of these ETFs and, and passive investments, mutual funds, etc. that are continuing to funnel money into these stocks as we have inflows coming into markets, and we still have a tremendous amount of global inflows, equity inflows coming into U.S. markets. That's why the dollar is doing so well. Doesn't mean that can't reverse, right? But it just hasn't yet. And so my point is is, is that we've got to be a bit cautious. There's a lot of negative sentiment out there right now, and there's a lot of and, – and, and the problem – is that everybody is expecting a bear market? Everybody's expecting a recession now. I mean, it's, it's all over the media. It's it's everywhere, right? Bear markets here, and you know, markets are going to go down fifty percent, and we're going to have a recession. It's quite possible. But as we've talked about before, these things typically don't happen on demand. And what I mean by that is, is that when everybody's expecting something to happen, it usually doesn't. Markets tend to do the opposite of what people expect them to do. And this is the contrarian side of investing. And when you have everybody expecting something to happen, it's kind of like watching a you know, watching a, a pot of water waiting for it to boil. It just won't boil until that one moment you you look away for something else and you come back and all of a sudden it's boiling, right? It's just it's just the the psychologically the way it works. And that's kind of where we are at the moment. Markets are under a lot of pressure, certainly doesn't seem like anything's working. This is the point to where you start making emotionally driven mistakes, selling stuff and, you know, getting out of markets, et cetera. And then that's about the time the market rallies. You go, ah, man, you know, sold the bottom. And that's what typically happens. You know, sometimes this is where you've kind of got to muster it up a little bit and, and, you know, make some investments based on expectations of at least a short-term reversal because that's likely going to happen. It's just the, the function that we have so much negative sentiment and positioning in the markets, you typically get some reflexive action. And, and, and a good example of this is that you've had a very negative month for the NASDAQ. You normally don't have several months of negative performance in an index without having a reflex of some sort. And again, when you just take a look at most of the indexes, we're starting to get down into – you know, very oversold conditions, deviated well below their moving averages, et cetera. And that typically is just the kind of the setup for a reflexive rally. Now I'm not talking about a return to a bull market, right? Like go push all your chips to the center of the table. I'm in, I'm buying the, I'm buying the bottom. I'm just saying that that the markets are set up for a reflexive rally. And again, you have two ways to trade that. One is to, Wait for the reflexive rally to sell into and reduce risk and and manage your positioning from that standpoint. It's better than selling the bottoms. Or you can trade the rally. And that's however whatever your focus is, however you however you invest in markets, whether you're a short-term trader or a longer term kind of investor, you know, you can use rallies for different things. And there's a good potential here that you're going to get a rally that you can then rebalance into. And, and then you know, kind of rethink your positioning as we move further into December, Because, again, as we move further into December, we do have a lot of headwinds that are cropping up. Look, the Fed is going to hike rates in May. That's one reason markets are selling off right now. Last week, there was a lot of rhetoric about Fed rate hikes. We're going to hike 50 basis points. There was you know, some jack leg saying, oh, we're going to do 75 basis points. Market didn't like that. But that's why markets are under pressure right now. It's because of this idea that the Fed is going to be tightening monetary policy and reversing their balance sheet, which has been a big drive. And and again, this this is the big thing, right? For the last five years in particular, it has been we can overpay for value because of the Fed. Low interest rates and QE, we can overpay for value. Now, the Fed's hiking rates and they're reducing their balance sheet. And now the media is saying, well, you know, don't worry about that. But if the support for overvaluation, the support for buying stocks was the Fed, that support is being removed. And we do have to pay attention to that because it may not impact the markets immediately, but it will longer term. Monetary policy takes about nine months to work its way through the market. So back in March, the Fed hiked rates by a quarter of a basis point. That quarter basis point rate hike won't show up in the economy until the end of this year. Whatever they do in May won't show up until March of next year. Because it just takes time for it to work through the system, for rates to come up, people to make changes to consumption habits, and then it shows up in the economic data, which is always lagging. So it takes six to nine months for these changes to monetary policy to actually impact the economy. But financial conditions are tightening. And there's no doubt about that. Mortgage rates are going up. Housing prices are, are, are slowing already. Uh, mortgage activity is slowing down. And we're going to see more of that as monetary policy continues to get tighter. So the question is going to be, you know, is how to navigate what's going to happen going forward. And again, this is where it's important that we maintain some consistency and understand what the risks are in our portfolios, but then are still looking for those opportunities to buy things that are really beaten up, really out of favor, and buy the things that everybody hates. Because if everybody hates them, that's probably the asset you want to be in when things turn. Because, again, nothing stays hated forever. So the more hated the asset class is now, the more loved it will be later. And it's just a function of time until you get there. And, again, you know, the last time we were talking about an asset as hated as things are right now was energy stocks back in 2020. Everybody hated energy stocks. Nobody wanted to own them. They were the they were the bane of the investment world. They they needed to all go out of business because they were killing the the climate. Now people can't get enough of them. All things just like seasons change. So just make sure that in your portfolio you're looking at what's overloved now versus what's most hated. And that may tell you a lot about where you want to start positioning as we move later into this year. Be right back after the break.
0: The Real Investment Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to ensure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the The truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: Welcome back to the show this morning at 6:33. A new study finds that the optimal work week is two days. So, this has some interesting implications, like no pants Friday. (laughs) I guess we'll get there. Two days in the work, but two days in the office. This will be this. You know, this has got some implications. You know, really, as you start thinking about commercial real estate. You know, if companies, you know, do opt to never return to a five-day office work style, this is going to change the office dynamic. Like, why do I need to have, you know, 30,000 square feet of office space if people aren't using it two days a week? I'll cut my office space down to 10,000 square feet, save on the real estate, save on that cost. And I'll just have one group of people come in Monday, Tuesday, one group of people Tuesday, Wednesday, one one another group of people Wednesday, Thursday, you know, just rotate them through the office, whatever it is. And I'll just, you know, optimize my space and reduce my overhead. And this is this is going to be a huge profit margin boost for companies when they figure this out. It's not going to be great if you're long commercial real estate. It's not going to be great for real estate, period. But. You know, this is going to be, you know, as part of your investment selection, something to think about, particularly if you have a lot of investments in REITs, uh, commercial real estate, if you've got a lot of your your you know, kind of long-term investments structured into, you know, kind of commercial structures where people are leasing space. And this also kind of makes the idea of a, of a you know, executives type office suite styles also more opportunistic for companies again if i just don't need it i just don't need it and i but i think there's one thing that you know we're going through this cycle right now it's like oh this whole work from home thing is great and employees are going oh i like this work from home thing you know i did it for about six years and i worked at home all the time and this was a couple of decades ago um, but I had a business here and my partners were overseas. And so I was literally a lot of times working around the clock because, you know, France and London and other, you know, other countries were, you know, 8, 10, 11 hours ahead of me. So I was having to work all hours of the day to get to get business done. And it, and it was all fine and dandy until I realized that an entire week had gone by and I hadn't showered and pizza boxes were stacking up in you know, the kitchen. You know, and and that's you know, and you know that's where you realize the value ultimately of having an office, which is you can go someplace, you get dressed, you go to work. There's a the place you do work, and then you go home and you leave work at work. And I think what a lot of of young people are going to realize, and and again, it's all it's all cool right now, because it's new, and everybody's like, oh this work from home thing's great. I can. You know, I can get some work done, then I can go lay in the backyard and play with a dog and go ride my bike and then come back home and work some more. And it's awesome until they start to realize that they're literally working around the clock. And that a lot of your free time kind of gets eaten up because it's, hard, it's, it's more difficult to shut off the workday when it's right in your house. Also, the other side for companies is maintaining productivity. One of the things that we already know that or, or already realize in terms of the corporate workspaces is that employees are not as productive when they work on their own. You lose a lot of collaboration when you're in an office together. You know, you you have these kind of just spur-of-the-moment conversations, idea generations, uh, productivity increases. You know, those things happen spuriously throughout the day as people just – you know talk to each other and and you lose that connectivity and you lose that innovation um from working at home and and again this is this is i think something that you know we'll figure out but uh, again you know right now it's it's this work from home thing is great nobody likes drive look nobody likes driving to the office driving in the office you waste 30 minutes to an hour depending on where you live and traffic get it right certainly get it so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the course of the next, you know, five, ten years. It won't be anything immediate, right? I mean, this is something that, you know, we're, kind of, we're, we're laying the groundwork for it now and in five years we'll go, hey, remember when we were talking about this five years ago? <laughs> this will take a while to play out. But I, I do think that there's eventually going to be a realization that the work from home thing is great until it isn't. And the work from home thing is great until you realize you're working all the time and you never get away from work. And it is constantly with you at home and in the bathroom and in the backyard and on your bike <laughs> and, and everywhere else. Because again, you're, you're constantly connected now through your phone, through your laptop, et cetera. You just, you just can't get away from it, but we'll see. But I, but I do think the, the more immediate ramifications though are going to be on real estate. So, you know, if you're long commercial real estate, as an example, Long commercial reits, etc. You know, as we kind of move, there, there was we had a tremendous amount of commercial real estate being built in in Houston, as an example. We had before COVID, we had six million square feet of vacant office space. Now we're going to have probably more than that, and so the question is going to ultimately be, you know, what happens to the, all that office space? You know, what what becomes of that square footage that was built and you know, if people don't go back to work, where does it go? I guess we'll all convert it into old people residential high rising. <laughs> so <laughs> we're starting to see more of that. By the way, remember that building we used to work in? Yeah, we're living there now. Yeah, we live there now, and it's it's full of old people. <laughs> so yeah, that's going to be the next thing. There's there's a uh, there's an old hospital uh, next to my house, and and it's been there for. 30 years probably and it's been vacant for probably 15 or 20. I mean it's just been vacant for a very long time. It's just this old kind of derelict building. And I always wonder kind of, you know, why you know somebody didn't, you know, we have all these emergency care centers, you know, popping up everywhere. And I was just kind of wondering how long it was going to be before somebody opened it back up and turned it into a hospital. Well, somebody finally bought the property and they're converting it into old people residential living. So we're all getting older and if you're gonna invest in real estate that's the thing to invest in old people real estate
2: <laughs> demographics is destiny yeah,
1: exactly yeah you don't get away from it <laughs> so anyway two days a week and the office three days a week at the old people residential community <laughs> we'll see how that goes um other thing uh this morning is that you know, this is going to be, uh, you know, kind of a more challenging environment over the next few days. Now, as we get into next week, get through this week in one piece. That's going to be the important thing. Uh, as soon as we get into May, we're going to start dealing with the Fed and with what they have to say. And, again, I, I, I wouldn't expect any – I've been getting a lot of emails over the weekend. It's like, what if the Fed goes 75 basis points? They They probably won't. They're now moving into their quiet period where they can't say anything. Thank goodness they'll give the market a little bit of a reprieve. But the Fed is pretty clear that they're going to hike rates 50 basis points, and they're going to announce their balance sheet tapering, which will probably start you know, later in the summer, June, July. They'll start tapering their balance sheet. But they're going to lay all that out at the next meeting, and they've been pretty clear about what they're going to say. And, again, they don't want to surprise the markets. What they don't want is financial instability. So the expectation that they're going to come and surprise the markets is really probably pretty low that that would happen. I mean, it's always possible. I don't want to ever say anything. is just absolutely impossible. But there is certainly you know, always that risk. But most likely, the, the very high probability is that they will come out and they will do exactly what they said, which is announce their balance sheet tapering, and they will hike rates by 50 basis points, and they'll kind of open the door for, for probably another 50 basis point hike at the next meeting unless, and, th- and this is where the language is going to be very important, they're going to be monitoring the inflation data. And if they make comments that, you know, peak inflation is likely behind us and they're going to be monitoring closely, anything like that, that would actually be very positive for markets and particularly in the growth space of the market. So you'll see kind of a, uh, a rotation potentially if that occurs. So if they, if they start to kind of denote that the risk of high inflation may be behind us, if they start kind of talking about peak inflation – Um, That could actually be very good for gross shares of the company. So a move back into cyclicals from defensives um, would probably be a a, a reasonable rotation because that's been the area that's been under the most pressure. So keep a watch on that because that meeting is going to be kind of really what sets up the summer and how we're going to trade the summer market as we go through that. Again, you know, had the January through April period been a little bit more positive, you know we could be talking about a more disappointing summer area but because the lead up to this fed meeting has been so negative that does pave the way for a little bit of a relaxation in markets after the announcements are made and again as long as everything kind of comes in as expected with markets oversold with sentiment very negative a kind of really across the board that would certainly set up the opportunity here for a re- a relief rally If nothing else, be right back after the break.
0: daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to ensure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance. With Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: The Real Investment Show.
1: Hey! <laughs> 647 is we get ready to... Uh, Wrap up this morning's edition of the Real Investment Show. You know, tax filing season's behind us, and, and I actually gr- uh, agree with something that Black Lives Matter just recently said. They said that hearing the number 990, which is a tax filing form, is triggering, right? I agree. Paying taxes is very triggering. We should not have to pay taxes because constitutionally, You're not supposed to pay taxes anyway, but that's a different story. Uh, We'll talk about some other day. Um, But, yeah, I think there's a point to where maybe we all need to start pushing back against taxes, just in general, particularly if the government's not going to spend the tax dollars wisely to begin with, if they're going to uh, waste our tax dollars. But that brings up an interesting point, which is that as we collect tax revenue, that tax revenue now only covers mandatory spending right so that is social security medicare medicaid the prescription drug benefit uh obamacare and of course interest on the debt now the interesting thing is is that because interest rates have gone up on the 10-year treasury the amount of spending required by the government to service that debt has also risen very sharply So it now requires more than 100 cents on the dollar just to cover mandatory spending. That doesn't include everything else, right? So Department of Education, Department of Energy, Department of Defense, all that. Public grounds, uh, Department of Agriculture, you go on and on. All those departments that we have to fund, that's all done out of debt. And this is why... If you take a look at Joe Biden's recent budget, which, again, the budget won't go anywhere and it's, it's irrelevant that we even produce a budget now because nobody passes budgets anymore. We haven't passed a budget since 2008. But you're talking about a five plus trillion dollar budget. For one year, that's what you're going to spend and it's just because of two things one is that when we pass these budgets we have what's called you know baseline budgeting and we have these automatic spend increases so every department as an example gets an automatic 8% increase whether or not they need the money see nobody's actually doing the work this and this is this is my problem with paying taxes which is i don't mind paying my fair share of taxes as long as you're spending them wisely but you're not nobody's doing the work nobody is in washington going hey let's take a look at the budget there was a movie called dave which is uh, uh kevin kevin Cl- klein kevin klein yes so kevin klein is and if you ever get a chance to watch the movie it's great um, so the president is Kevin Klein, and he has a stroke, right? If, if I'm remembering it right, yeah. So the president has a stroke, and but this is right in the middle of you know the 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 whole thing that's going on with the government and everything else, and so they don't want anybody to know that he's not actually acting as president, right? That he's had this stroke, so he's down in the secret bunker, you know, hooked up to a machine. He's in a stroke, you know, had a, has a coma, the whole nine yards. And so they go find a look alike. So, Kevin Klein. Uh, his name is Dave. And Dave is an accountant and he looks just like the president. So they sweep him up and they replace him as president. And you know, he knows nothing about politics at all. And that was the intent is that everybody else in government that knew everything about politics, they would just they would run the country, right? It wouldn't be the guy behind the desk. You know the guy behind the desk; he's just kind of a dupe there, and he's just going to stand there and mind his own business and and not really know anything that's going on. And you know the guys behind the president, right? The uh, you know the um, the chief of staff, etc. They're the ones that are actually going to be running the government. And so this this is all going to work out great. Kind of true to life today. I,
2: uh, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Is like, <laughs> oh, like what's like, it going on What's going on right now? <laughs>
1: Truth is stranger than fiction. Um, But so anyway, but, you know, Dave gets Dave has a problem. He starts looking at stuff. And he decides that he wants to, you know, fund a children's center. Um, And then they said, well, if you can find the money in the budget, you can have your children's center. But otherwise, just shut up and sit in the corner. Well, he starts going through the budget. And he sits everybody down. He says, and he starts, he gets a highlighter and he starts highlighting through the budget. Says, We are we doing that? Nope. Okay, it's out. The line item veto. I know, right? (laughs) This is exactly unfortunately. This is the stupidity that we need to get back to is that somebody needs to actually do the work and say, Where is this money going? What is this money being used for? There's like eighty billion dollars missing from the army. Nobody knows where it is. It just disappeared. $80 $80 billion, <laughs> it's just gone. Oh, that's not in the movie? Yeah, but <laughs> that, that's that's real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this but this is the problem. It's just that all this stuff that we have that is truly unaccounted for. Look, like, hate Elon Musk, you have to admire the guy that he is running a business, doing what NASA does, putting people up in space, but he's got to be accountable for all that money, right? I mean... It's a private business. Now he's getting government contracts, but you know he had to launch that business with his own money. Uh, there's actually a really good documentary on Netflix that talks about SpaceX. If you ever get a chance to watch it, it's pretty interesting to watch how he gets it all together and what they go through to get, uh, you know, the first rockets up into space. And <laughs> I'm telling you what. The the astronauts that got into that initial rocket to go up into space, you got the There that those are the guys that have the right stuff, right? No kidding. Because I mean, like three rockets before them all blew up, and they get on a rocket to go into space. Got it. That's that's bravery right there. I mean, you got to give them that. Anyway, it's it's on Netflix. You got to watch it. It's actually pretty good. Um, but you know the the point is is that you know we collect all this tax revenue and and again i don't mind paying my fair share of taxes as long as i had a reasonable expectation that the government would spend it properly and and this is the problem with elected officials and you know we talk about you know the next election cycle coming up and you know uh, you know joe biden's ratings right now uh, approval ratings are are extremely low because of what's been going on and you know, so the conservative right's going, this is our opportunity. We're going to take back the House and the Senate. It's great, right? Nothing's going to change because as soon as we have the next recession, it won't matter who's in office. The first thing they're going to do is go right back to sending checks to households because it worked before. And we're going to go back to just continuing to spend money. And And, and it's, it was interesting because I've had congressmen, senators, On this show. And we talked to them when in 2017, when we were passing the tax, uh, uh, the Trump tax uh, cut. I had Congressman Kevin Brady on the show at the time, um, House Financial Ways and Means Committee, and said, okay, great, we're going to cut these taxes. But if you don't cut spending, all you're going to do is waste your tax cuts, which is exactly what happened and he's like oh no no we're going to cut spending you know we you know we're going to you know cut back on the budget we're going to didn't and it didn't ever happen. and you know we always get these promises that from both sides both parties right we're going to we're going to do this we're going to fix this we're going to do this other thing and then nothing ever changes it's always the same because that's what gets votes and again you know what drives government is lobbyists and what's good for them, and this is and look, and this is why there's so much angst against, you know, the the rich, and there's so much angst against corporate corporate executives, and there's so much, you know, pushback because of wealth inequality. But this is what, this is all fostered, and if we want to fix the system, look, capitalism isn't broken, right? This is and this is the belief is that we need socialism. Forty percent of young Americans want socialism because. They just don't see any other thing working for them. They just don't see any opportunity for them to get ahead in the world. So they're they're actually voting for socialism. They want socialistic health care. They want socialistic environments. They want socialistic government because they just want their fair share. But that's not what creates the opportunity. And this is the thing that is getting lost because – of what we have going on in Washington and, and the, the waste of money, the waste of tax dollars, the, the, the displacement of economic activity because of the debt. People feel like they don't really have any other option. But this is, this is the problem we've got to fix. And, and again, taxation is fine, but it, the taxes have to be used properly. And we have to make productive investments. We have to cut back on non-productive spending. We have to cut back on the debt. And that's going to require, right? pain. We didn't get into this problem, you know, overnight, and we're not going to get out of this problem overnight, and we can, we can, my, we can mitigate some of the pain of that reversal by doing it slowly, making choices, et cetera. Or at some point, the choices get made for you. And if you don't really understand that, go take a look at what's happening in Japan right now. Japan is having a tremendous amount of problem because that fly has now, is looking like it is a, has now hit the windshield in Japan. It was only a function of time. And the question is whether or not they can, they can stave off the end result of 250% of debt to GDP. But we're on the same path and we have time and choices to fix that, the question is whether or not we'll do it. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Um, Futures down this morning, going to open a little bit weak. Uh, They have been improving off the lows this morning. We'll see how markets actually open once markets get up and running. Stick around. Three minutes on markets are coming up. Our new report on recession risk is on the website. It's all there for you at realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow.